Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. Hey there, thanks for joining us and welcome into the show. It's our week 16 edition for the regular season. Christmas weekend, John. Already Christmas. Are you ready for this? You got all your shopping done. Are you ready for a big weekend with family, Christmas and all that, and then a lot of football too? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's kind of cool on Monday having the doubleheader and then two football games on Tuesday, then football back on Thursday, college football on Friday, NFL football on Saturday. So going to have a lot of football to enjoy just from like a fantasy perspective and like a neutral perspective leading up to the Broncos game on Sunday. So that'll be fun. And, and obviously Christmas and spending time with family, that's great too. But from a football <laughs> perspective, we're getting our full this week. Yeah, a disappointing loss to the Bengals. There's no way to other way to put it, right? This one hurt. And uh, it was also tough to see Teddy Bridgewater go down in the fashion that he did, right? Taken off the field on a backboard, kept overnight at the hospital. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's gone through a lot of injuries, John, in his career, some nasty ones. And you just hate to see him get carted off the field like that, right? That's just uh, that's a sight nobody's trying to see. Yeah, that that was kind of a, a gut punch. It, seeing When they take the helmet off of them and put them on the backboard, like you said, yeah. they they were just trying to be as careful as they can in case he had like a, a neck or spine injury and to hear like concussions are serious, but just to hear that he had movement in his extremities and that it's not his neck, it's not his spine. Like we're glad that he's okay in that regard, but to have a concussion, like that's a serious thing as well. So hopefully he gets healed up here soon, but glad that it wasn't worse than it was. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, okay, it was just a concussion, right? Yeah. This is Teddy's second concussion yep. this year, second concussion. Yep. So, uh, that's concerning. And I thought it was interesting. Fangio came out. It does look like Drew Locke is going to get his first start of the season. Bridgewater's highly doubtful. I mean, he just got out of the hospital. And it does sound like Locke's going to start this week against the Raiders. But going forward, we're not sure yet. Fangio stopped short of saying that Bridgewater would land on the IR. And my take is that Bridgewater should go on the IR, John. All right? Like, like I said, second concussion. The Broncos aren't winning anything. This year, even if they somehow sneak into the playoffs, which, you know, those chances took a big time hit with this loss of the Bengals mm-hmm. and whatever percentage points Bridgewater, even with his injuries, um, whatever percentage point he gives you over lock is not worth the potential risk to Teddy his his health as a future quarterback, his health as a human. Uh, the guy has just been banged up all year. I can't imagine he's feeling very good right now. Uh, and I, I just don't know what we get from putting Bridgewater in there for the final three games of a season that looks like, uh, you know, it's heading towards a missed playoff berth, right? Like, I, I, I think we've seen Teddy Bridgewater. We know what he brings to the table. And now let's just, why don't we just hand the reins over to Drew Locke for the last three games, right? Like, what's the problem with that? Like, I feel like that's what they should do. I, I definitely see your argument, and I definitely don't want to rush Bridgewater back. Like, this week for sure, I definitely wouldn't play him with it being a second concussion in three months. I just think one week is way too soon. Like I didn't even like after the Ravens game, he came back the very next week from a concussion. And that happens so often in the NFL. And I just, I I know every concussion is different. Every brain is different and they have their doctors and stuff. But every time I'm just like, man, I wish they would have had at least like two weeks to to give their head more time to recover. Because the worst thing that could happen is you get another one right after. So I I get what you're saying. I definitely don't want him playing this week, but I don't know that I would put him on injured reserve because if you do that, 
he's out for the year and just just say the Broncos happen to win this week and say some of the wild card teams in the running for wild card lose like if they still have a playoff shot and if if in two weeks from now say Bridgewater makes a very good recovery and he's feeling amazing like I don't know if that will happen but just I don't think they want to rule out the possibility that he bounces back really, really well next week and is completely healthy and they're still alive for a potential like long shot playoff push because he's their starter and they've stuck with him so much this year. I just feel like if there's a chance that he's going to come back, I don't think they're going to put him on IR and end his season with three weeks to go. But I get what you're saying. If they like, if they lose this weekend and some of the other contending teams win and like if they get eliminated this weekend or eliminated next week, I'm completely with you. Just play Drew Locke just to get a tiny bit more of a sample size to look at him. I don't think he's the guy long term, but just if he goes three and oh these last three weeks and somehow looks amazing, which I think is unlikely. But just if that happens, then you might think about it a little bit. So I agree that if they don't have a shot, just ride Drew Locke, take a look at him and definitely don't bring Bridgewater back before they think he's perfectly ready to go. But I wouldn't put him on IR just yet, just in case he's able to come back feeling really well. No, this is why this is why I need you, John. This is why I need you. You you do. You sometimes you talk some sense into me. That makes perfect sense. I'm looking at this from a pessimistic or a, from a pessimistic. <laughs> well, it's probably viewpoint. realistic, honestly. Yeah. yeah, like we're twelve. We're 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 seven and seven. We're twelfth in the AFC standings, right? I'm I'm looking at this like they're not going to make the playoffs. But you're right. It's not. They're not done yet because the AFC is a freaking mess, and you just never know. So who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. The Arizona Cardinals lost to the Detroit Lions, right? Stranger things <laughs> yeah. have happened than the Broncos somehow making the playoffs. And if if Bridgewater can come back, maybe for that, maybe for that Chiefs game, and, and he's healthy, and maybe the Chiefs rest their starters. There you like, go. You never yeah. know. So okay, I'm with you there. Yeah, but it's tough seeing Teddy kind of struggle through the year and just oh, continually yeah. getting knocked out. It's just, uh, it's brutal. And that that leads me to Locke, right? He's had. You can miss me with all these headlines I'm seeing, John. I'm, I'm seeing them all over the place. You Googled you know, Denver Broncos, Drew Locke, and you just see it. This is Locke's time to prove his doubters wrong, right? Those headlines are everywhere. I'm seeing it everywhere on Twitter. Locke has had four chances to prove his doubters wrong this season, John. I have four. I, I count the preseason when he had a chance to beat Teddy Bridgewater out in the first place. You know, A guy who just got here was new to the playbook and the whole thing. He had a chance to prove him wrong then. He didn't do it. I think number two was the Ravens game. When he came in in the second half, when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, and uh, he sucked. Um, number three was the Chargers game. When Bridgewater got knocked out again, Locke came in and replaced him through a bad interception, and Teddy came and limped his ass back on the field in the <laughs> second half. And then number four is this past week against Cincinnati, where I think we've seen the same Locke we've seen for a couple of years, right? Flashes with the arm talent, with that great pass to Tim Patrick. We're like, yes, this is, you know me, I've been... I've been complaining about this for weeks. Can we throw it to the wide receivers down the field? Can we get explosive in the passing game? Oh, I loved seeing the ball to Tim Patrick. That's great. But then, like, he still has this knack for turning the ball over with that botched quarterback option play with Javante Williams, right? Where it's they're they're goal to go. They're at the nine yard line, and this play doesn't only fail; it just it blows up the entire game. It's going back the other way for the Bengals, right? So. That's my take on Locke. He's had four chances to prove his doubters wrong. I don't want to hear people telling me that this is his chance. You know what I mean? I think the Drew Locke truthers would tell you, at, like preseason, it's a, it, that's its own thing. But I think for the season, these three times he's come in, every, the thing that everybody's saying is, well, he was cold. Oh, he gets no reps in practice. Like the backup never gets to touch the ball. Like he's unprepared, blah, blah, blah. Like, 
every time he's come in, that's always been the excuse. And I, I'm kind of like not happy at all that Bridgewater is hurt, but I'm kind of happy that Drew Locke now this entire week, he's going to get first team reps. He yep. like, there's no excuse now like this and the Raiders. It's not like the Raiders are some great team like and they're not some great defense either. So it's it's a decent matchup. He's got a full week of practice like he knows the guy. He's the guy. He's not cold. So uh, I I know what you're saying where uh, like he's had all his chances and he hasn't done it before. But like if he can't do it now, like then I feel like that's just an answer. And if he looks great now then it, it might make you think a little bit. And if he looks great, then yeah, sure. Start him the last two games. But I just think like, this is, this is his time to like, the excuses are gone for all the Drew Locke truthers. As I said, like if, if he can't get something done against the Raiders, then it's just, it's just like, it's time to move on from him. Like in the off season, if you can trade him even for just like a late round pick, I would probably do that because I think they're going to go out and get a veteran or maybe draft someone. And if you draft someone, Drew Locke's not your backup. Because one, it creates like a quarterback controversy like we've had all this season. And uh, two, I think if you have a rookie, you want like an established veteran, almost someone like Bridgewater. Like they might even re-sign Bridgewater if they draft someone. So like if Locke starts the last three games, I do agree that like this is his chance, maybe his last chance. But I'm with you that I haven't seen anything to make me think he's going to take advantage of it. I actually have another question about that that play call I, I referenced, the RPO that the Broncos tried to run with uh, Locke and Javante Williams. Let's cover that here in a little bit. We'll do that in our questions of the week. But let's steer the conversation towards an article you put on Broncos Wire, John, recently this week. The headline was about how the team is wasting a great defense this season. And in that article, I'm very proud of you. You put most of the blame on the guy who's running the defense, and that is Vic Fangio. And uh, I'm putting words in your mouth here, John, so I'm going to let you talk. But it sounds like you're saying that Fangio is an excellent defensive coordinator, but a bad head coach. Is that is that fair to say? And and if so, I would like to give you a hug. <laughs> yeah, I think that basically sums it up. And it makes me kind of sad because I think he's a very good defensive coordinator. And I wish they could just like demote him to defensive coordinator. <laughs> if that was the thing, in, that would be great. I'm with uh, yeah, you. Yeah, but like that just doesn't happen. If he gets fired, he's probably going to go be someone else's defensive coordinator and do a great job for them. And like hopefully the Broncos would then get a new good de- defensive coordinator. But I just feel like like his defense is in order and that's great, but he brought in an offensive coordinator that has not been good enough. So the offense has been terrible. Like it'd be one thing if we had Vic Fangio running the defense and he had like this young, bright mind completely in control of the offense and Fangio just didn't have to worry about that at all. Like maybe even like clock management for the offense. Just you got a nice, young, bright offensive coordinator who's just got that taken care of, but he doesn't have that. And Pat Shermer, I like, we're preaching the choir. Everybody's been unhappy with Pat Shermer, but Fangio stuck with him, stuck with him, stuck with him. And I think in the end, that might come back to really hurt Fangio. And then, the, like, the head coach duties that a coach has got to have, like clock management and, like, deciding when to challenge, Fangio's been so bad at that. And it's probably because he's always been a defensive coordinator. He's not had those responsibilities before, but he hasn't been able to adapt and learn and adjust and improve. And I'm like, okay, well, you could hire someone again, like get a really good challenge guy and just listen to him and rely on him. And I don't know, maybe he is doing that and maybe they need to challenge their, their, or fire their challenge guy. Or maybe like 
hire like a clock management analytics guy and just lean on him. Like if, if it's not your strong suit, it's not your strong suit. Like you have to be able to admit when you're not good at something like you're great at the defense, but you're not good at clock management. So surround yourself with people that who are good on those things and then lean on them. And either he hasn't done that or the people that he surrounded himself with just aren't good enough. And he just is not willing to accept that and move on to them. Like they like say, he's just sticking with Shermer and he just, he won't fire him and give some other offensive coordinator, some other play caller a chance. And I think that might be – it might come back to hurt Fangio. It might be part of the reason why he gets fired if he is fired because he's not getting fired for his defense. Like since 2019, since they hired Vic Fangio, Andrew Mason from DVNR, he tweeted a great stat. Five different times the Broncos have allowed 17 or fewer points and still lost the game. That's the most in the NFL – in the time that Fangio has been with the team. And I feel like that perfectly sums it up. Like the defense is in order, but everything else that falls under a head coach job, it just hasn't been good enough. And like, again, it makes me sad because I love what he's done with the defense. And like, I like Fangio as a person. I think he's a good guy. And like, I think he's a fine coach. It's just, I don't think he's a good head coach. I've been mad at Vic Fangio for his clock management for two years, John. I think our first podcast we ever did, that was like the first second I was was yelling about Vic Fangio. And we're talking about like the end of the first half, right? Where the Broncos play it very safe. They play for a field goal, but they leave too much time on the clock. Uh, They miss the field goal. That gives the Bengals a really good field position and barely enough time to get their own three points. And they do. Mm -hmm. And it ends Mm -hmm. up being a six-point swing in a game you lost by five points. So, I mean, this is what we're talking about, right? Like, just not tight enough in those kind of situations, not knowing, like, how to kick the field goal with no time left. That thing. Like just he, he's just not quite tight enough in those areas. That's why he's got to go, but for me it's like oh I agree with you. Like how would that conversation go? George Payton uh <laughs> hey Vic, Vic. We want you to be the defensive coordinator. We want to bring in a new head coach, but we will, will you stay with us? I would be if that happened, if that was real life, I'd be all for it. And John, maybe in the off season we can role play that conversation. Do you want to be George Payton, George Payton, or Vic Fangio? We'll role play. I would definitely be Fangio. Okay. I do not want. Yeah. It. I feel like Payton. That would be like a Michael Scott conversation. <laughs> so awkward. We'll have to. We'll have to have swear words in that one. That show will have to be parental advisory or something for us. We'll lose our rating. Um, all right. So coming up next, we'll do our questions of the week, and I'm going to throw this question um, about the RPO that blew up in Drew Locke's face in the Broncos. We'll do that coming up next. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Welcome to week 16 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com. Let's go through some strong plays to help get you into the championship round. Quarterback Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals versus Baltimore Raven. The last time these teams met was in week 7 in Baltimore, and Burrow exploded for 416 yards on a trio of touchdown strikes. However, he's coming off his worst showing in more than a month, and it's understandable gamers are a little bit nervous. He has a get-right game against a Ravens secondary that has been hampered by injuries and is even weaker than it was the last time they met. Look for another huge showing from the 2020 number one overall pick. Running back James Robinson, Jacksonville Jaguars at New York Jets. Another highly talented player who's been a little bit shaky over recent weeks. Robinson has a matchup that is elite. The Jaguars are committed to Robinson now that Urban Meyer isn't in the picture, and it should only get better in Week 16. Running backs have averaged the third most yards on the ground against this defense in 2021, and no team has given up more than 16 rushing touchdowns behind the 23 allowed by the Jets. 
there's a huge opportunity for a late-season surge from the second year back. Green Bay Packers wide receiver Alan Lazard versus Cleveland Browns. In Week 14, it was Lazard who functioned as the number two target for Aaron Rodgers. Last Sunday, it was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, leaving the former Cyclone to finish the day with 23 yards on two catches. He should have had a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but Rodgers overshot him. On Christmas, Lazard might be in position to deliver a big game with MVS on the COVID list, although a speedy teammate could clear the protocol, so keep tabs on the situation. Lazard is an interesting risk-reward option thanks to the consistent double teams on Devontae Adams, just as long as Marquez Valdez-Scantling isn't in the picture. Noah Fant, tight end, Denver Broncos at Las Vegas Raiders. Drew Locke is likely to start for the injured Teddy Bridgewater. The Broncos really can't get much worse in the passing game, but we like Fant to finish in the top five among his positional mates. Fant has posted 50-plus yards in consecutive games, and he has at least four catches and 50-plus yards in three of the last five. He hasn't scored since week six, but that came against this matchup. Play Fant if you don't have a clear option for more points, but the matchup is among the best of the week. Best of luck getting to the championship round, and have a Merry Christmas. For award-winning tips, news, information, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's USA todaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, it's our questions of the week. A lightning round with John. Three questions that he's not prepped on. And here's question number one for you, John. We hit on it in our first segment. Drew Locke was asked to run a quarterback option play from the nine-yard line. And uh, so basically he's supposed to read the defensive end who squats on the play. And all Drew Locke has to do is hand the ball to Javante Williams, right? Who is who we want to have the ball. We want Javante Williams to have the football near the goal line. And you showed me a nice photo on Twitter, John, that showed this gaping hole for Javante Williams to just run right through into the end zone. Uh, But Drew Locke held on to the football and then the play got blown up, right? The ball gets stripped out of his hands. The Bengals player runs down the field. Locke's chasing him. It's like a cartoon all of a sudden. <laughs> Locke somehow gets the ball stripped from the, the Bengals guy, and everyone's fighting for it. And whatever, the Broncos had a chance to score, and now they don't, right? And it all got blown up in their face. So all that being said, who do you blame for that play most? Is it Drew Locke, who made the wrong decision not to hand it to Javante Williams, or do you blame Pat Shermer? I see a lot of people blaming Shermer, and I think some of them are the Drew Locke hardcore fans that just can't accept Locke did something wrong, so of course it has to be someone else's fault. And I understand that to an extent, but I also see, like, some people are acting like there's no way Locke could have ever executed that kind of play. Like, they're, like, saying, like, you don't do a read option with, like, Peyton Manning or something. But, like, Drew Locke, he's not completely immobile. And at Missouri, he did run read options. And Fangio said since he's been in Denver, he's practiced that play. So it's not like Locke was completely unfamiliar with the concept. Like the concept, he's capable of doing it. So I don't think it was just like, how could he even think Locke could handle that? Like Locke should be able to handle that. But Locke Locke just made a terrible read. Like you said, the defensive end stayed home. Like he came up just a little bit, but then he just stayed home. And if the defensive end stays home, you just give it to your running back. And there's that gaping hole. And there was a linebacker that – might have met him in the hole but Williams he can either truck him he can juke him and worst case scenario say the linebacker gets him down it's pot of 
positive yards. Like Williams is at least getting like four yards opposed to Locke making the wrong decision. One, getting no yards. Two, losing the ball. I did like his effort. Like he did give effort to go chasing down, but it was all for naught because the guy was down by contact right. way back near the fumble. But anyway, so I, do, I think it's silly to be like, how in the world did Fangio expect him to run that? I think it's not that. But I do understand the people that are like, if you're running from second and goal at the nine-yard line, if you're going to do a run play, just do a traditional run play. Just put the ball in Javante Williams' hand, give him a chance to make something happen, and then go from there on third down. So I understand that people that just, you know, there's no reason to do, like, try to do something fancy. Like, just just give the ball to Javante Williams just on a normal play. But I, I disagree the people that are that are acting like, Drew Locke never could have even dreamed of executing something. Like, I think that's people giving Locke too much grace. They're trying to put too much on Pat Shermer. So I'm, I'm kind of two sides of the fence there on it. I, I do think it was a bad play call, but I think it's something that Locke should be able to execute. No, I agree with you. I kind of hit on this in the first segment when I, when I brought this up. Yeah, I didn't like the play call at all, but Drew, just hand it off or, or take a sack <laughs> or, or just protect the football. Don't give the football to the Bengals. This is what we keep talking about with you. Just like figure out a way for that not to end up in the Bengals' possession. You know, don't screw it up. Don't give up the points. You're inside the ten. You can't. You're the ball handler. You're the quarterback. You can't screw that play up that bad. So either hand it off or keep it. Just don't lose it. So yeah, that's on Locke. He continues to turn the football over in every which way. And we're now we're coming up with new ways for Locke to turn it over. But yes, you got to blame Locke for that. He's his ball security is terrible. And again, it rears its ugly head on uh, the Broncos. Okay, question number two for you, John. Before this matchup against Cincinnati, on Sunday morning, we had a report from Jason LaConfora, he reports for CBS Sports, that the sale of the Broncos franchise could be finalized as early as the spring and that Peyton Manning could be a minority shareholder. And I'm, I'm reading that Manning is also reportedly interested in serving in a management position with the Denver Broncos. So could Manning be the Broncos' savior once again? Could Manning be the guy who steps in with an ownership group, John, becomes a part owner, gets in a management role, and helps turn this thing around? Yeah, I think I would 100% be on board for him to be a minority owner, part of the ownership group. And I think I, like, I would love for him to be like the face of an ownership group because he's so good with media and he's so good at – like doing that kind of stuff and you would think like being he's so smart he's such a good quarterback you would think he'd be good on like the front office side but I'm not like I'm not totally sure if he would so I don't know if we'd want like say he becomes the new John Elway like the new president of football operations or like uh I don't know because like I don't think they're firing George Payton. So Peyton Manning can't be the general manager. So is he above George Payton with no experience, like managing a team? Like, yes, he's experienced, like calling plays and stuff, but he's not going to be a coach. So is he going to go above George Payton to do that? He has to be like the president of football ops, like John Elway was. His Elway's contract is up in the spring. Or if you go below George Payton, like, is he become like the assistant GM? So I'm not exactly sure what kind of a, football role he could have and like he also doesn't like have it like John Elway he at least was like the I think it was like the owner GM of like the Colorado Rush like arena football I know it's it's only arena football but like they didn't win a title and like it was like managing money like signing players stuff like that like Elway at least had some experience as like an executive and Manning doesn't have any of that experience so I would be a little nervous like I love Peyton I 
I would hope it would work out. I think it would maybe work out, but like, I feel like I would have a little bit of question in my mind, like, Oh man, what if this goes really bad for Manning and like, it turns fans sour on him. Like that seems crazy to say, like how could fans ever not like Manning, but how could Broncos fans ever not like John Elway? Like Good so point. many fans yep. were calling for him to be fired no doubt. the last few years. And so many fans are so excited when he finally stepped down from his GM position. So I'm just kind of a little worried. Like I, I wouldn't want something like that to happen to Manning. And maybe he's just such a great football mind that wouldn't happen, but I don't know. So I, I'm kind of rambling on this, but as an owner, it, like a face of ownership, that would be awesome. As like a team executive, uh, like on the football side, I'm not quite sure. Like I wouldn't, necessarily be against it but i'd maybe be a little hesitant about it question number three going on that point buy or sell that the broncos gm currently george payton has the team on the right path and that he should be the long-term guy in this position i'm i'm prompted on this question from some some stuff some conversations i saw on social media john does george payton have the team on the right path to success I think so. Uh, I, and I think because they didn't get a QB this year, like you might count that as a knockout Peyton, but I just think because of that, you have to give him at least one more off season. Like if he go gets an Aaron Rodgers or go gets a Russell Wilson, then nobody's complaining about this last off season passing on Justin Fields and Mac Jones and whatever. So I think we got to get, if, if he runs it back and re-signs Teddy Bridgewater and like Dunson draft a promising QB and it, it's enabled to get like a Rogers and then we, and we're just like continue doing that thing. Then I'd be like, okay, maybe I'm not so keen on George Payton, but I think we have to give him an opportunity to address the QB spot. I think he just didn't, he didn't want to settle for something that once in, uh, like I think he wants to get the guy. And I know like this year they kind of settled for Teddy Bridgewater, but it's not like the long-term thing. Like they don't like they weren't sold on Justin Fields and it may turn out that they were wrong about him, but I'd rather them, not, you know, not reach for a QB they're not confident in than reach for someone that they don't think is a franchise QB. Like they might be wrong about Fields, but I didn't have a problem if they're not sold on him, not going all in on him. So I think we got to give him more time. And like his first draft class so far looks fantastic. So if he keeps drafting like that, and if you add, I know it's a huge if because they still got to do it. But I just think if they add a QB, I think they're definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think you got to give them another couple years because, like you said, this draft class is so good. And Patrick Sertan, he's done nothing to make us feel like he wasn't the right pick at number nine overall. And you got a bunch of picks in next year's draft after moving on from Von Miller. And you got like $50 million in projected cap space entering next season, right? You've got... You're, you're set up to do some things this offseason, and we got to let this play out, right? So you could do a lot worse to George Payton. Trust me. There's some teams out there that are really struggling that are going to be looking for GMs. You could do a hell of a lot worse to George Payton. It does feel like we're building something here. you got to let the man put one block on top of the other, I guess, John, right? you got to let him got to let him play it out. So, yeah, I, I think people that are sour on George Payton are just uh, – Let's just call, let's call let's all just take a deep breath and let this thing play out for a couple of years. We're this is a long play, right? Getting Teddy Bridgewater over here, the whole way they're kind of managing this, it's a long play. They weren't looking for the quick fix yet. Maybe that's coming in the offseason. But we're playing this is a long play. We just gotta we gotta ride it out. Yeah, we're in agreement. I think some people just want to find something to be grumpy about sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So all right. Uh that wraps up our questions of the week, and now we can get on to this matchup against the Raiders. The Broncos are underdogs. Should the Broncos be underdogs going to Vegas? We'll talk about that coming up next. This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. 
What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Sunday night football game between the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Dallas Cowboys favored 9.5 points and the total sitting at 47.5. I'm on the under 47.5 here. This is a pros versus Joes game as more money has been on the under, but more bets have been placed on the over. Typically in sports betting, it's wise to follow the money, especially when it's counter to the public. Also, Cowboys offense has regressed. They've hit the under in seven of the last eight games. And Washington's offense just isn't that good. They've hit under in seven of the last nine games. Nate, how are you betting this Washington-Dallas game? I'm rolling with Dallas by 10 or more. Washington is still banged up, has players on the COVID list, and has the league's second worst third down conversion rate for opponents. With Dallas tied at 11-3 and for the best covering teams in the league, I'd rather bet against them than for them. Also, they started up 24-0 in these two teams' first matchup. Give me Dallas by 10. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, John, the Raiders coming off this uh, really funny game on Monday where they go to Cleveland. They play Cleveland, who uh, they had 18 of their 53-man roster still on the COVID list. So, uh, you know, it was definitely a depleted Browns team. The Raiders pulled that one out in the last second, almost lost to the Browns with their third-string quarterback, and they didn't have their top receiver. And uh, it just like it was just wild how many players the Browns were missing. Uh, but the Raiders pulled that thing out, and now this week the Broncos are heading to Vegas. Um, as one-and-a-half-point underdogs. And just for me, this feels like a game the Broncos should be able to win, right? Vegas is is kind of a mess to me. I, I You know, Darren Waller has been out, and their offense should not be that hard to stop, especially when you have a very good defense and a good guy calling the plays like Vic Fangio. We'll give Fangio uh, his due. He is a great defensive coordinator, and I feel like if you can just cover Hunter Renfro, you make the, the Raiders have a hard time moving the sticks if you can cover Hunter Renfro. Their defense doesn't have much outside of a really good pass rush with uh, Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, right? So this is a game that Denver should be able to win, but will they, right? That's that's the question. Will the Broncos go and win this game? And that's the part where I got I to gotta bring you in, John. I think the Broncos, I could see them being the favorites in this game. I think it's that kind of a close coin flip type of thing. But can we trust Denver going into this one with Drew Lockett quarterback? Yeah, I agree that they should be able to win this game, but I don't think it's that outrageous for them to be listed as the underdogs because when they played the Raiders at home, like I know the Raiders were a little different at that point in the season, but when they played them at home, they lost by 10 points. And when the Broncos played a depleted Browns team, it wasn't as bad as the Browns against the <laughs> Raiders, point. but they didn't have their starting the quarterback. Yeah. They didn't have their top two star running backs. And like the Browns did have Nick Chubb against the Raiders. So anyway, the Broncos couldn't beat a depleted Browns. The Raiders hung on and like they barely beat them. It's such a but good they point. did I beat can, a depleted Browns. I forgot about this and, game. It was so long ago. The <laughs> and Browns they, game. they beat they beat Denver in Denver. And, and you know, with an AFC West with a rivalry game, like anything could happen. So I, I think kind of some stuff is just tossed out the window. I think with how close the point spread is, I think it's kind of just somewhat of a pick 'em. Like, but I, I'm not like shocked that Denver's listed as an underdog because I think they don't have any confidence in them. And I think the way their offense has played, 
you don't have a reason to be confident they're going to score points. And I think they put a lot of stock in starting quarterback. Even if Drew Lo- or Teddy Bridgewater is not like some great quarterback, I think just the fact that there's QB uncertainty and that their starting quarterback got knocked out, I think it makes you go, oh, okay, so now they're going to be a little worse because they're without their starter. So I think like the fact that the Raiders beat them, the Broncos don't have their starting quarterback, it's in Las Vegas, so you think that would help the Raiders a little bit, although they haven't had that much of a home field advantage this year. No, but like in theory, in theory, I can see why they're listed as favorite. And honestly, I wouldn't be like – I wouldn't be overly confident to pick the Broncos to win this game. I just have no confidence in them with the way their offense is. Although I say that, Drew Locke, like, I don't think he's the answer, but he might give them somewhat of a spark because, like you alluded to earlier, he at least gives guys a chance. Like on that Tim Patrick throw, like it wasn't like that was the best decision of all decisions because it, it, the corner was played it better. It could have been picked off, but he just he trusted Tim Patrick and gave him a chance. And like last week, Jerry Judy, he had no catches. Corlin Sutton, we've talked about it like on a previous podcast. Missing he's in a little man. bit of a slump. Missing man, it's, yep. Teddy Bridgewater, he's nice that he protects the football, but sometimes he's so conservative that he doesn't even give his receivers a chance. Like that's not going to be a problem with Drew Locke. Like Drew Locke, he kind of reminds me of like Brett Favre, not the high of Brett Favre, but like the low of Brett Favre. That one play, he's going to show off his rocket arm. He's going to give his receiver a chance. The receiver will go up, and it's going to be exciting. But then the next play, he's going to try it again. It's going to be picked off. Like I feel like Locke's not afraid to go for it all, and that may not help. Like Denver, that may hurt them to have turnovers, and Locke's stats may not be great, but it should help the receivers like Patrick Sutton, Judy giving them more targets, giving them more opportunities, like especially Patrick and Sutton, giving them more jump balls. That's going to help them get involved. So who knows, maybe like just one or two jump balls for receivers that they come down with one or two more touchdowns for the Broncos. Maybe that will be just enough to make their offense better. So uh, again, I'm being kind of wishy-washy going back and forth on both sides. Like, but I'm not that confident in Denver, and I'm not that surprised that they're listed as underdogs. Yeah, you should be like that because this is like a coin flip kind of game, you know. And in these kind of games, if I'm betting the spread, I would probably take the points. I would lean Broncos, knowing full well that it could be a field goal either way that decides it. But that's not the bet that I would make in this game. And you were just hitting on that. Yeah, Drew Locke is more of a gunslinger than Teddy. That's that's definitely true. And you look at this matchup, right? Like Vegas. Not a great team at stopping the run. They're allowing 4.3 yards per rush on the season, uh, which is a high number, and the Broncos are going to come at them with their little two-headed monster there, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. The Raiders are also... This is an interesting stat, John. The Raiders are also bottom five in the league at taking the ball away. They're not very good at takeaways on defense. Very convenient. Will they be able to capitalize on the Drew Locke misfires, right? Like, that's a a question. Like, maybe they'll be able to strip sack them because they have a really good pass rush. Uh, you know, Max Crosby has been virtually unblockable this year. Uh, so strip sacks are, you know, definitely always in play with Drew Locke. But, you know, maybe maybe not the interceptions. The, the, the Raiders just, they're not great at takeaways. So I look at the total at 41 and a half, 41 and a half. That one kind of jumped off the page to me because these two teams combined for 58 points earlier this year when they hooked up. It was 34-24, I believe. So my play for this game would be to take the over. I think Drew Locke gives you more of a gunslinger kind of feel. He'll take some chances. He might give you a shot to hit some bigger plays in the passing game. And we know the Raiders can score with, with, with Derek Carr. We saw it firsthand. I mean, the Broncos, a really good defense, gave up 34 in that game. So I think I would play the over 41 and a half. I'm not sure why the line is so low. 
and I like the over. What, what do you think about that total, 41 and a half? Yeah, I see where you're going with that. I think the reason I would be hesitant is Denver just scored 10 points this last week, and the Raiders, <laughs> in a win, what did they score, like 16, 17 points? It, it wasn't it was very high. 16 to 14, I believe. Yep. So it, it may, the game may not play out the same way those two games for Denver and Las Vegas just played out, but like I can see Denver's defense, like you said, if, if uh, Darren Waller's not able to play, if they take away – Hunter Renfro, like, and Kenny Young may be back at inside linebacker this week, and that will help Denver against the Raiders' rushing attack, which hasn't even been that good. So I could see Denver's defense give the Raiders' offense some struggles. And, yeah, Locke might give the offense a little bit of a spark, but he's also prone to turnovers, even if the Raiders haven't been getting a lot of takeaways. So I, I – I don't know. I don't know if I would be that confident on over 41 and a half either, but I, I see your logic for sure. So maybe this is to say, since John and I are kind of all over the place here, just don't bet this game. Don't bet this game. And <laughs> I just, think that's and, fair. And just have a happy Christmas, right? <laughs> just have a good weekend. <laughs> enjoy some family. Enjoy all that. And enjoy some football, right? Maybe that's what we're saying. Just just steer clear. This game is kind of weird. It's kind of a hard one. It's It really feels like a coin flip to me. I have no freaking clue. I don't know how it's going to look with Drew Locke. You never know what you're going to get with Vegas. They could score 40 on you one week or 10 the next. You just don't know. So I, I maybe I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole. So how's that for betting analysis, right? Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the play here. Nothing. No no play. Pass. I think that's a wise suggestion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. So, uh, so for John Heath, I hope everybody has a great holiday weekend. Enjoy some football. We will talk to you all next week as we toast to the new year. Talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.